The church from its very inception has always dealt with conflict. It's not been easy. Um, when the church started in Acts chapter 2, it went straight into conflict. Acts 15, it, we had our first council. And, and they were having a huge issue between the Gentiles and the Jews. How much would the church look like the Jews, you know, in terms of its practice and some of the, the practices in the past and how much would the Gentiles shape the look of the church? Um, we not only had conflict there in the church, but we had conflict in our first missionary team. Paul and Barnabas got sent out and they had a split over a person by the name of John Mark. I remember when I was a kid, younger, um, I wasn't really a kid, but I was, I was in college, and I, I didn't deal with conflict well. Conflict made me nervous. And, and part of the reason is because when I grew up in my family, when conflict happened, um, usually uh, a table got flipped, a window got broken, or somebody went through it. And so I, conflict was scary for me. Um, I, I got picked up at, you know, at school by the police. Uh, somebody at home has uh, made some kind of threat. And so I got put in, in hiding. And so we, conflict for me was something you avoided. And so when I got into the scriptures and I saw this fight between Paul and Barnabas, I needed somebody to be right and somebody to be wrong. That's what I did with conflict. Uh, the idea that, you know, two people could reconcile and both were, you know, at fault. And it's like, uh-uh, somebody was right and somebody was wrong. And so I kind of concluded that, that I was kind of in favor of Paul. I liked him. He was kind of, I liked the way he lived, hard charging. And, um, and Barnabas, well, I, I didn't have anything against him, but John Mark was a flake. And so I kind of went the way of like, you know, Barnabas, you're siding with John Mark. And John Mark's a flake, so Barnabas, you got to be a flake too. So I went with Paul. Well, I was fine until Paul, towards the end of his life, then said, bring John Mark. He can be beneficial. I was like, what? You're bringing this flake back on your team? What are you doing that for? And um, I, I struggled with that. I, I just struggled with, with conflict. I, I didn't like it. Didn't know what to do with it. And then the more I started studying church history, the more I realized, man, there's conflict all over the place. You had the Crusades, then you had the councils, then you had the great schism of 1054, and then you had the Protestant Reformation. And then you had worship issues that started about 500 years ago, and we've just been doing that for 500 years. So the reality is we've had conflict. In 1904... There were two countries, actually, that was um, having a difficulty, and they were getting ready to go to war. The two countries were Argentina and Chile. And they were getting ready to just bring out the guns, and, and they were getting ready to uh, have this dispute. Well, greater minds came together and settled it, and in honor of the peace treaty, they created a statue right there, and they put it on the mountains in the Andes. And they called it Christ the Redeemer of the Andes. It was really beautiful. It settled the dispute and the two countries were at peace for a little while. Until the Chileans, they, they were angry. And they started getting a little mad. And the reason why is because the back of Christ was pointed towards them. And they were like, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're kind of second class citizens. We have to look at the back of Christ until one great Chilean journalist saved the day and said, oh, we're fine. 
The Argentinians, they need to have Christ look after them more than we do. There's always a way to solve conflict if, if you're creative. Paul wasn't shocked that they were having conflict. What he was shocked at is that they were going on the Jerry Springer show to solve it. He wasn't shocked that they were fighting. He was shocked that they were dragging each other into the court system, shaming each other, embarrassing each other, when the reality is they needed to solve their problems in a more honorable way. We should never be surprised that the church is going to experience conflict. Not all Christians get along. That should not surprise us. Should not unnerve us. We may not like it, but the fact is, there's a lot of reasons. Some of us are from different places, different, you know, uh, some are, are from parts of the country. You are, who are from the New England, you're a little bit more straightforward. If you're from the South, I, I learned folks from the South can say things that you don't really mean. I remember this lady from the South. She's from Mississippi. And she always used to say, well, honey, bless your heart. And you know what it means when you say bless your heart from the South? It means, oh, honey, bless your heart. What it really means is you're an idiot. (laughs) I I learned that. um, Lee uh, was her name and Warren was her husband and, and he some, one time took me aside and he said pastor do you know what bless your heart means in Mississippi and I said I don't have a clue I've never been to Mississippi I think I was to Meridian one time he says well pastor I just want you to know that when Lee says bless your heart it really means pastor you're, you're a knucklehead I said really I thought she was being kind and she was just saying, oh, pastor, bless your heart. She, he said, no, that's Lee's kind way of saying, pastor, you don't have a clue. It's like, well, why did she just say that? He says, she did in Mississippian. <laughs> no wonder why people don't get along is they don't speak English sometimes. They don't, they don't say normal things. And, and so, Yeah. And, and we haven't even talked uh, when Pastor Jeff does this class uh, on gifts. Man, I always think of this. I mean, when you get to the issue of the gifts, no wonder why there's fights in the church. I mean, you got people with a gift of faith. And, and people with a gift of faith and say, man, we're doing this impact, you know, this, this campaign, 1.5 million. It's like, really? That's all you're going to do? 1.5 million? That's nothing. I mean, we can raise that in a weekend. We did it one time. And these people over here with the gift of administration, they're like 1.5 million. What if we don't raise it? What are you going to do if we don't get there? What are you going to do if we only raise one and a, you know, I mean, half of it? And they're, they're already trying to figure out what we're going to do when we don't raise it. Plan B, what are you going to do if we raise 750000 What are you going to do if we only raise 450000 What are you going to do? And they want every contingency laid out because they live their life by contingencies. You get these administrative people together with these faith people and they just don't get along. Because the faith people are always looking at these administrative people and it's like, you guys, are you guys just practical atheists? Do you have any faith at all? 
And these poor administrative people said, would you guys come out of the clouds? And we haven't even talked about people of gifts of mercy hanging out with people of prophetic gifts. I mean, these people want to hug and these people got the hammer and they're getting ready to slam it down. No wonder why we have fights in the church all the time. You're going to. The issue is not that we have problems or we have disagreements. We're going to have those. The issue is sometimes you go for the jugular. Sometimes you drag people like they're your enemy, not your friend. Sometimes you treat people like they're a person you never knew. Sometimes you go after a person like you want a pound of flesh instead of they're your brother and sister in Christ. Paul exhorted them, when you care about the body, you're going to handle conflict differently. If you care, if you don't care about the body, you're going to go for the jugular. If you don't care about the body, you're going to go for the win. If you don't care about the body, fillet them. If you don't care about the body, get all the money you can. If you don't care about the person, shame them. If you don't care about the person, level them. Get them out of the way. But Paul's words need to ring in your ear if that's the way you're going to live. How dare you? Because that's what he says. How dare you? If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? How dare you? Treat a member of the body of Christ as if you don't know them. What would it look like if I care about the body of Christ? When number one, Paul says, you'd think about your future. Verse two, he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? What's Paul talking about? Do you not know that one day you're going to sit with Christ? Jesus talked about this. It's in Matthew. It's in the 19th chapter, verse 28, when it says that the Son of Man will sit on his throne. You who have followed me will sit and judge the tribes of Israel. There's going to come a day, Paul says it, Jesus says it, that you are going to sit with Christ and you're going to judge the nations. You're going to be asked, if you will, Christ is the supreme judge and he's going to call you into his court and you're going to sit with him and you're going to rule with him and you're going to judge with him. And Paul makes this statement. If, in fact, and you will, sit on the throne with Christ and judge the nations, and if that assignment's going to be yours, doesn't it make sense? Then in the prelude of that great moment that you could solve a few trivial 
judgments down here on earth? It seems rather logical, Paul says. Yeah. Doesn't it make sense, Paul says, that if one day you're going to rule with Christ and you're going to judge with Christ, that you ought to be able to gather together just a few Christians who are kind of duking it out and you ought to be able to settle it here if indeed one day Jesus is going to lean on you to rule the nations. Yeah, it seems obvious, doesn't it? Calvin and Hobbes were having a discussion one day. Calvin came to his friend Hobbes and he says, Hey, I feel really bad that I called Susie names. I hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did that. Well, maybe you ought to apologize, Hobbes suggested. Calvin pondered for a moment. I keep hoping that there's a less obvious solution. Sometimes it's just that obvious. Sometimes you simply need to walk across this room and go up to another person and say, you know what? I'm sorry. My pride got the better part of me. I forgot. I forgot that you're a sister in Christ. I forgot that you're a brother in Christ. I forgot that we're on the same team. I let my arrogance get the best of me. I forgot. Sometimes we just need to uh, do what's obvious. I'm sorry. You didn't treat me the way I wanted you to treat me. And I, I got a grudge and I got a chip on my shoulder and I just let it get a better part of me. And I, I just, I nurtured that thing and I fed it. And the next thing I know, I turned you from one thing into an enemy. And man, I tell you what, I festered that thing and it grew and grew and grew and I fed it and I fed it and I fed it. And the next thing you know, I had an arsenal of reasons as to why I had every reason to hate you. And the fact is, of everything I felt about you is what I did. Paul's point is pretty obvious. One day, my friend, you are going to judge with Christ. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus can count on you then... Why can't he count on you now? If he can expect you to behave correctly then, if he can expect you to rise to the occasion and and make good judgments and settle disputes and call people to the right behavior, why not now? Think about your future. It'll probably make it very obvious as to what you need to do today. Secondly, Paul says, if you care about the body, you'll handle conflict differently. He says, I want you to think about your team. The very fact that you have lawsuits, verse 7, among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Already. 
Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers. You do this to your own team members. You do this to the body of Christ. You do this to people who are in your family. You're not doing it to a person you don't know. You're doing this to a person who you attend church with. You're doing this to a person. You're, you're hurting an individual that you say was bought by the same blood of Christ that you are. How do you justify that? How do you rationalize in your mind that you are going after a person that stands at the foot of the cross right next to you? A number of years ago, there was an article that was in Time Magazine. 2002 was the year, actually. And Jeff George, who was with the Redskins, he, he was a white guy. And they had a picture of him sitting on the bench. And his helmet was off. And he was in this bald white spot. And they had a picture of him there. And on both sides of him were two African-American teammates. Both of them with their arms around him. Showing their affection and their camaraderie and their commitment to him. The subline said this What counts most in creating a successful team is not how compatible its players are, but how they deal with incompatibility. Seems like we've come a long way from 2002, doesn't it? Maybe not. Seems like in 2002, maybe we understood a little bit better how to be a team. Today, it seems like we know more about how to throw grenades at each other, both outside the church and inside the church. In his book, My American Journey, General Colin Powell was telling a story about Sam Donaldson who was interviewing a young leader. He was a young soldier who was a part of a tank platoon in the battle in, in uh, Desert Storm. And this young man who was with his group, his platoon, and they were going into war, and Donaldson asked him this question. Are you afraid? As you're heading into this battle, are you afraid? The young man said, we'll do okay. We're well trained. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because I'm with my family. And his comrades were behind him. And they shouted, tell him again. He didn't hear you. I'm not afraid because I'm with my family. It seems sometimes like soldiers who are going into war have a better idea of what it means to be with their family than some churches. They got a better idea of what it means to face an enemy 
with a group of guys that they weren't raised together. They came from different parts of the country. But they know what it means to have a common enemy. They, want it, they know what it means to fight. And they know what it means to have each other's back. And sometimes, even on sports teams, a lot of you have been there, they, they know what it means to put their arm around their quarterback or their arm around their guard. Doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what background, it doesn't matter. All that matters to them is that, man, you're on my team and we want to beat that team. And Paul's point to this church was, why is it? That you would cannibalize this place called the church for a few bucks. Why, why would you shred this place just so you can get ahead? Why not be cheated? Why not be taken advantage of? When I go to the grocery store... I go to the grocery store that gives me good deals and it has a vegetable department that I like. I don't have a high level of loyalty to my grocery store. My team is not the grocery store. This is my team. This is who I take a bullet for. This is who I die for. This is who I sacrifice for. When I go to the grocery store, I'm polite. I pray for them. I say hi. I try and know their name. This is who I curse. (laughs) This is my family. This is my family. And Paul's point is this. If you love this family, why would you take a knife to it? Why would you drag it onto Jerry Springer? Why would you drag it into the court system? Why would you embarrass it? Why would you wound it? Be cheated. Pastor, man, you've never been cheated. I'm sorry. Friends, you don't know my life. I got money in this game. I got skin in this one. I'll put my Vita up against yours. I get plenty of money I've left on the table on this one. And add to that plenty more wounds that I haven't called in. But if this is your family, and this is who you go to war with, and the enemy is one, and he's in hell, And we're going to fight him. And we're going to fight him for this city. And we're going to fight him at the school district. And we're going to fight him at the universities. We're going to really take him on. Then the last thing we need to do is to shred each other. Going after the enemy. When you care about the body, you're going to handle conflict differently. Because you're going to think about your team. And finally... 
you're going to think about your past. I noticed a lot of people when they were preaching this text or when they were teaching this text treated verses 1 through 8 as one section and 9 through 11 as a completely separate one. They didn't see them as connected. I don't think Paul has left the subject. In verse 9 he comes and he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters and adulterers and all that good list. In verse 11, he says, and this is what some of you were. What's Paul's point? Has he left the issue of conflict? I don't think so. So why did he go to this text of, and by the way, don't forget who you once were. He's trying to help you understand If you care about the body, you're going to think about your future. You're going to think about your team. And you're going to think about your past. Why your past? Because when you drag somebody into court and you want to get all highbrow about their failure, before you do it, just have a little conversation with Jesus about your own failure. Before you get all self-righteous about somebody else's horrible sin. Before you get all highbrow about somebody else's horrible treatment of you. Stand at the foot of the cross and look up to Jesus. And just have a, a moment of conversation about what Jesus has forgiven you. Just have that moment of conversation before you drag them onto the stage of Jerry Springer to embarrass them. Before you stick the knife into their artery. Just look up to heaven just for a moment. And let Jesus remind you of what he forgave you. It might change. How you treat your brother and sister in Christ. It just might. Because God has forgiven you of so many horrible sins. Paul's, I think, question is this. Will you not forgive one another of a few lesser sins? Will you not? Will you not overlook Colossians chapter 3, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Matthew, those who will not forgive, God will not forgive them. Will he forgive a person who won't forgive others? Maybe that's Paul's point. Maybe he really hasn't left the subject of conflict. I don't think he has. This is what some of you were. One person asked one time, what's it like being a Christian? And one creative person responded, it's like being a pumpkin. God picked you. Then he cut you open. And he cleansed you. And he took all the gunk out. And he cleaned you. And then he carved a beautiful face. And he put his light inside of you. And then he displays you for the world to see. And every ounce of that is 
his work, his beauty, his glory. He did it all. And if you care about the body and you understand what one day you will do, you will judge with Christ the nations of the world and you care about this team, this team means more to you than just like going to the grocery store. This is your team. This is your body. This is your family. And if that matters, and it does to me, and you care about your past, then it might mean maybe I need to be cheated sometimes. It's not easy. Maybe I will be willing to overlook. Maybe I will be willing to put my arm around a person who's wronged me. Maybe I really do need to give another person a second and a third chance. And the last thing I need to do is to drag them into court and to shame them and to get a dime out of them. I know a man hasn't spoken to his son in six years. They're estranged. He recently sued his daughter. I think to myself, who sues your own daughter? This man is miserable, completely miserable. He's losing everything in his life, every person that matters and all of his money. Why? Because he doesn't have the ability to stuff his pride and to love his team. Paul sees that in the church. Let's not let that happen to us. When you care about the body, you'll handle conflict differently.